what it do and welcome back to the desert tiger podcast i am your host here on the show here on the dtp my name is colton g and of course i want to go ahead and thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast is i am joined by shelby sinka and we discuss the 10-year anniversary of Swedish Columbia Records. But of course, before we go ahead and get there, before I go ahead and give you a little bit of an insight into Swedish Columbia and Shelby Sinka, before I go ahead and play you some music, there's a few things I want to go ahead and do first. So, the first thing of those things is I want to go ahead and thank those of you who went and checked out last week's episode which featured Scott Roberts, vocalist and guitarist of The Take, as we discussed The Take's brand new self-titled debut album, and of course how this punk hardcore supergroup came together. So thank you to those of you who checked it out, and thanks to those of you who went ahead and shared it on your social media. Thank you very much. Go ahead, pat yourself on the back. You're a beautiful person for doing so. I also want to go ahead and say that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you, of course, by ILoveDTP.com. That's because over at ILoveDTP.com, it's where you're going to go ahead and find yourself the latest and greatest in Desert Tiger podcast swag, merch, gear, whatever you call it. That's where you're going to cop it. You're going to find it. You're going to get it. You're going to rep the show every single place you go in front of your friends, in front of your family, and heck, even in front of your enemies because screw them. They can't stop you from doing what you want to do. Am I right? Of course I am right. And of course, today's episode is also brought to you today by XYZ. XYZ. It's a clever way of me saying that your ad could go here. Contact me at desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com and we will talk further. Alright. Shelby Sinka is celebrating the 10-year anniversary of Swedish Columbia Records with the release of a 24-track compilation entitled Slowblade. Strongly believing that the Slowblade penetrates the shield which has more than resonated in Shelby's journey to this point, the label continues to thrust forward while still paying homage to its roots and influences. First tearing onto the music scene with the post-hardcore math rock group Frodus, Cinco would stumble upon a nano-loop compilation in the early 2000s that would shift his artistic direction. What began as a tour bus pastime of making music with Game Boy sounds, it would begin to break through with Shelby finding himself in the MySpace bloghouse movement before its twilight. From there, Swedish Columbia would continue as a connection of like minds between DC and Sweden, exploring and expanding into newer territories, eventually penetrating its way into new realms, like its connections to the cult classic video game Hotline Miami and Hotline Miami 2 Wrong Number. Swedish Columbia's releases are more than just an audio homage, though, to the sounds of the 80s and video game soundtracks, as the label tries to create more than just a playable product with their physical releases, 
adding depth through retro-style cases, elaborate artwork, and even board games, the label continues to find creative ways to connect with its audience. Today, Shelby Sinka joins me on the Desert Tiger podcast to talk about how finding a nanoloop tape in Germany would end up shifting his life from the math rock post-hardcore world into the electronic-styled schemes and actually how those worlds end up connecting together. We also discuss how Swedish Columbia got its birth, what the actual connections between the two locations are, and we find out a little bit more behind the scenes. Shelby has also done things like make video games, and like I mentioned earlier, board games are something he stepped into. So is there any other creative ventures that Shelby is wanting to put his foot forward into and move forward? Of course, all this and a lot more, as you know, we love to get into a ton of different topics here on the podcast, but of course, before we get there, you know, we have to go ahead and give you a spin of one of those tracks off of that compilation album entitled Slow Blade. Of course, this track is a re-release of a 2009 blog house hit done by a group called BMK. This is a song that got stuck in my head right away. And of course, if you guys know of the singer who joins on the song, Maddie Safer, he's from a group known as The Rapture. So between BMK and The Rapture, I have a feeling like this is damn sure to get stuck in your head. But that's okay, because we don't care.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. <laughs> yeah. Glad we could make things work out. <laughs> yeah, it's no problem. <laughs> all right, fantastic. Yeah, let's just see what let's see what happens. All right, all right. If, if I drop out and mute you for a second on a response, I'm like telling my kids something. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no so I don't worries. know if you'd have to. Uh, after like edit that blank the dead air or uh, what but i usually go through and edit everything anyway so <laughs> cool yeah all right yeah i read that you're a re- yeah of course of course i got excited because i was like wow a wrestling referee that's fantastic are you are you a fan of wrestling oh yeah really yeah i mean mostly these days out of convenience probably nxt mm-hmm. and then uh like kind of the NXT, NXT UK. I have fought, fought a bunch of New Japan for a while when someone was uploading it on Daily Motion, mm-hmm. but I haven't, I haven't followed recently, and I haven't gotten AEW yet because there's no like easy, easy way to access it in Sweden right now. Quite oh yet. really? So, you guys don't have yeah. Bleacher Report out there? Oh yeah, it is a Bleacher. I guess I could, they, I, I can try and buy it from there. I, I forgot about that. I know they did some of the shows for free. Like, uh, the recent ones on Bleacher Report, depending on where you lived. Okay. Yeah. The first one, the... Um, I think the... Double, double or Nothing? I think Double or Nothing, Fight for the Fallen, were both, like, given as free options at some point, depending on, like, mm. where you lived. Well, yeah, this could easily turn into a wrestling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a Road Warrior animal tattoo on my leg. What? Really? Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome! It's an obscure tribute to him because when I was a kid, I was like, "Why is this kind of this crazy sci-fi like road warrior animal have like a Tasmanian devil on his arm?" Before <laughs> I learned, it was kind of just like, you know, it's kind of like a rednecky thing, like got got a Taz tat, and uh, which which is totally fine. And uh, I was like, "That's so weird." So I was just kind of amazed by that when I was a kid. I'm like, "It's so not his persona to have like this." like bugs but like looney tunes guy and then later i was like oh okay i get it he's like weightlifter and just like i'm just get some tat and then later i got a, a tattoo of taz dressed as the road warrior animal that is so cool with with the kinikuman like uh you know muscle like the japanese uh wrestling manga the little like kinikuman meat symbol wow that's fa- oh my god man that's so cool <sighs> <laughs> kind of obscure that is but, uh, super cool it was my tribute to him and like my my confusion to his taz tat when i was like a kid <laughs> oh, but i love them i love that i love the road wars they were in the, because they were so because they went from like zero to 100 oh dude it wasn't it wasn't like and they were the first i think they were one of the first that had like other mute like had like like music like really I don't think they used music all the time for all the entrances, and they had like a Black Sabbath song, which was mm-hmm. pretty amazing. And they kind of ran and they ran to the ring, and and like they they screamed in their interviews. There were it was, you know, like animal. Like if you watch the interviews now, they're like screaming at the top of their lungs. Like they don't do that. Any, they don't do that in wrestling right now. Really, no one's screaming at the top of their lungs, but they they were just like. Like, huh. like, as a kid, I was like, "This is the craziest. Who, who, what are these guys?" 
Well, man, but so, yeah. like the intensity that they brought to it too, it, and it just made you be like, man, these guys are just like into this. They care. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And then like, like later, like fighting on YouTube, they're like, I learned about like their Japanese push, and there's a twenty, I think mean, it's ten twenty minute like documentary, like a little movie, really low budget of them like as aliens. Like, they're just regular, but apparently Paul Ellering finds them and they come from some other planet. There's this crazy, like, backstory to them from when they entered Japan. <gasps> I need to find... I don't think I've seen that documentary. It's on YouTube. It's insane. They're, like, in some junkyard and, like, Paul Ellering feeds them, like, like raw chicken. And he's like, oh, come with me. I'll feed you. <laughs> it's crazy. <gasps> oh, <laughs> Which made me goodness. like them even more. And I'm like, okay, I gotta get a tattoo. I love, I love it. No, I I need to find this and see this like today, <laughs> later today. Yeah, I am I mean, finding this. If I wasn't a 165 pound pencil neck geek, you know, I'd, I'd want to be a, a wrestler. But <laughs> but I mean, nowadays you can like I don't think like a lot of guys are small like Noam Dar and stuff. Mm-hmm. You definitely you could work that cruiserweight style. I mean, I myself, yeah. I'm smaller than you, so I mean that's kind of why I like tapping the one two threes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little less believable if a hundred and forty pound guy is <laughs> flying around knocking people clean off their feet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'd prefer to be, if if I could choose, I'd prefer to be like a manager, like a Paul Ellery. Oh, either way, that. right? <laughs> yeah. Good oh, times. Very good times. <laughs> <laughs> not, not wrestling. Uh, I believe we're supposed to be speaking about your record label, record Swedish label. Columbia, yeah, at some thing. point today. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, for the <laughs> listeners of the show, of course, we're talking with Shelby Senka. He is the head of Swedish Columbia Records. Before that, you may know him for his time in a group known as Frotus, one of the bigger known spazcore style groups. Those progressive um math core style groups of the early 90s influenced a lot of the early 2000s movement of that scene and of course we have shelby here talking today of course we were just talking about wrestling but we're going to talk about swedish columbia his record label which is on its 10 year anniversary that's right and no relation to columbia records no not at all it's a reference (laughs) to uh to DC, where the label started, District of Columbia. Yeah, which I actually don't think a lot of people actually realize that's what DC stands for. <laughs> yeah, just just DC. No, it's uh yeah. So obviously Swedish because there's a Sweden connection to the record label, and then Columbia because also the District of Columbia. So, like I mentioned earlier, this was born out of like after your time in a group named Frotus, and it started with you making Game Boy-style music. So, fr- shifting from that progressive-style mathcore, like, metalcore, I guess some would call it, style music of that time, how do you progress into that completely different style of music, especially making it with Game Boys at the start? Well, it's funny, because I started making that music when, like, uh, a post Frodus band I was in called Decahedron started was touring in the US in 2003 no 2004 we toured and that was a band with me and the drummer of Frodus and, and 
uh, Joe from Fugazi started it, but he didn't tour with us. He just recorded on the album, and then later uh, we had Jonathan Ford from Roadside Monument playing bass with us. And basically, uh, we were in the we were in the van, and I wanted something to do, and I was playing around with this software called Nano Loop, which is a Game Boy sequencer, and I just started making songs on that. Hmm. So uh, I think I, I would, before that, I think I just randomly found the Nano Loop. Uh, a Nano Loop compilation CD when I was in Germany once. I had like a Game Boy on the cover and I was kind of intrigued, so I picked it up. I thought it was pretty interesting. Kind of, I don't think it strayed too far from the stuff. Maybe concept from Protus it does, but conceptually as far as the kind of math core-ish-ness, I think sequence music and that approach does have a similarity even though the sounds are a lot different video game sounds. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> I just started creating songs. I did a couple, I actually did some covers of uh, a DC Discord band called Antelope on uh, the Game Boy and released it on one of my records. And from there, it just, it just kind of snowballed, like my interest of making electronic music because I always liked it and I would listen to Different stuff like Mouse on Mars and MicroStoria, like Thrill Jockey stuff in the 90s. And even like Future Sound of London. Like that stuff, was, that was music like me and the bassist from Protus always were listening to. Like the later bassists, we had six, like Spinal Tap. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Those damn bass players. <laughs> they had drummer problems, even bass, bassist. But uh, <laughs> so electronic root music resonated with me and Nathan, so, and if you listen to the last, actually, a couple of Frodo's albums, we started having, like, amb- an ambient instrumental track, and later on, even, like, a sequence drum with instrumental, like, guitar and bass and little synthesizers on it, so we dabbled with it, but never went full in, full in on it. Okay, but, so... Uh, now, I mean, now even the bassist from Frodo's, the last bassist from Frodo's released a record on my label, and it just kind of sounds like Depeche Mode. All synthesizers and no, all sequenced. Very little uh, electric guitars or anything like that. Oh, wow. So still continuing the connections you made back then and still running off of the things that connected you back then. Yeah, which, which, I, th- which I think is kind of a very DC Discord thing. Because Discord records always saw themselves as documenting a scene, and by scene they didn't necessarily mean everyone in the DC DC scene, but a, like a circle of friends and the occasional others that kind of come in on the label, come come in that uh, circle of influence, and then become part of the family, if you will. And that's the exact approach I have with the, with the label. It's people that we just a group of friends and then friends of friends and things kind of move organically so it's not exactly like seeking bands or anything like that it's just a an organic you know, connection of people and what they're creating and it, and it works and it always it always there's always something to release so it's not like there's necessarily a, a slow time if anything i have to i have to like slow it down and tell people and be like okay and pace it, and now we have. I have another kid, a new, a new kid as of six months ago. So, two kids and a label, <laughs> and a job, and two cats. <laughs> Not much time. 
No, not much time at all. Raising a whole lot of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Raising human beings and artistic pro dreams. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what am I going to fit in like my pro wrestling aspirations? I don't know. <laughs> right? Where, where are you going to get the training or the time to work on your mad manager costumes? Like... <laughs> <laughs> so you actually found an album of nano loop music while touring I, di I didn't find it while touring I was just visiting some oh. friends in Germany this was in 2000 oh gosh I don't even remember what year it was probably 2002 I think but I just, found, I just found it at a little record store and then that introduced me to that world I found the nano loop software online and bought it and then from there, just started playing around, and then realized it was something that you enjoyed. Exactly, and then and then obviously, felt, I felt like I grew out of those being limited by that sound set, or the game game sound set, mm -hmm. and then found Ableton Live, and then started creating more electro modern electronic music. And then that was uh, and that's around the time the label started was when uh, the whole blog house thing was happening. Hold on okay. one second. No worries. Whoa, it's windy. Woohoo! Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can. So the label started during the whole blog house thing. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but it's like the group Justice and Ed Banger Records and kind of this, uh, I guess it's a revival of a little bit 80s style but more modern and it's edgy to lack of a better term electronic music like dance mm -hmm. music and then at the time you know it was just myspace and blogs and the blogs i mean people were reading blogs it wasn't like now where everyone's just chained to facebook and social media a lot of times but they were just reading different blogs google rss was a thing so people had an rss feed and the difference between now and then is then people would reblog. So nowadays, like if you want to have a, a premiere of a track, you know, you you have to give it exclusive to that one publication. And people like our pre the press guy that contacted you that I worked with Jerry that I've known for a while, you know, he's the one who has to pitch these things. But back then, they would just reblog. No one cared. And these blogs weren't exactly making money or anything. Mm -hmm. They were just uh, they were just doing it for the love of the music. Hold on. All right. Let's go, Charlie. I'm talking on a pod podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you go talk. To, you can talk to the train station. <laughs> can you hear that? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> okay, go switch the trains. So the so back it was like during. Blog house, like everyone's reblogging, so there was a your track would like spread like wildfire through all these blogs, opposed to you know now you have like you have one track, one debut, and it's kind of a slower burn mm -hmm. or slower. Uh, and you hope you get playlisted. Yeah, it's like a slower like spreading of stuff. But so we had some luck with a couple tracks, getting on some blogs, and then uh, during the Oh, did you fall on a, on a stick? My kid fell on a stick. All right. And then at the time, we also curated a compilation called Motu. 
Masters of the Universe, which blatantly ripped off He-Man artwork. <laughs> but we had we had like everyone on the compilation. This other artist, Sakura Knight, who also ended up being having a label called Ghost Car Records, which I released their like small discography a few years ago. I'm kind of early synth wave. Mm-hmm. I'm walking through a forest, by the way. <laughs> of, of early synth wave, he kind of helped put it together, and we had everyone from like Crystal Castles and Sky Ferreira. Oh wow! Come true, come true is like early thing. Like everyone, it was like it was the comp that people were downloading during like that MySpace age. And it wasn't a crazy amount of do- downloads, but it was hosted on my server. 20 to 30,000 downloads. And this is like 200 tracks or something. It was it was ridiculous. I think you could find it on archive.org if you look. It's still up there, but basically what happened like I moved to Sweden with my wife and the same day like Michael Jackson died, which is before all the scandals found out, everyone found out about him. Yeah. But for me like I I like I the 80s, I loved Michael Jackson when I was a kid. So the day he died, my, Mattel Toys contact uh, contact Chris. Be like, you gotta take down the cop. You're blatantly using human artwork, and because uh, and Chris freaked out. Like there was like a lawyer sent like a letter with like all the you know all the instances they found online. Because what happened was, if you search Motu, our comp was getting a better Google ranking than like real He-Man stuff. Oh wow. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so we were like, he was like, yeah, pull it down. Like, what are you talking about? Michael Jackson died, and now this, and He-Man. It's like our '80s childhood is like coming, it's like, it's like mm-hmm. falling apart. What's happening? <laughs> and so then we just pulled. We had to pull the comp. Oh, that's rough. <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. Like, there was a moment where like maybe we should just rebrand it. I don't know. It, it, it all happened so fast, we, and we never put it back up for whatever reason. And I think it was kind of by the time they contacted us, MySpace was kind of it. It was in this weird pretending to like preparing to die, I should say. So <laughs> they they knew it was coming. Yeah. So and then Bloghouse is also kind of fading. And I feel like this uh, things were kind of finding their place. So this Whoa. compilation kind of disappeared into the ether. But the people that were around, they consider it kind of one of the early synth wave early like before a lot of newer artists were doing kind of an 80s sound it was hmm. kind of the the go-to for finding a lot of finding out about a lot of the 80s inspired uh artists during like that myspace era wow blog house era. so but after that died out then uh i feel like the whole blog house thing kind of had its thing and then then the label had a very slow period we released a couple things and then things shifted for a bit we met this artist, El Cuervo, who was working on a video game with a friend who's a developer that I met in Sweden. Put out his first record, did, did pretty good. Nothing crazy, but then, you know, kept on putting out his stuff, and then all of a sudden he had a... It started, it started doing really well, and I looked, I was like, why is this doing so well? And then found out, like, he had a track put on this video game, Hotline Miami, which later went on went on to sell about two million copies or something. Mm-hmm downloads and the tracks always played in the cutscenes in the first first uh first ver- I shouldn't say version there's two parts there's hotline miami one and two so in part one 
the track is played like in many of the cutscenes. So people are hearing it all the time and they're getting a they're getting a kind of experience behind the track. So I feel like what happened with video game culture kind of in this time, when what year is this now? This is like two thousand twelve? Thirteen? I don't know. Definitely not two thousand nine <laughs> when the label started. But the video game fans were like buying music, buying digital music, buying everything, like eating it all up, like trying to find out everything about the games they love, like the artists, the visual artists, the music artists, like really getting behind and supporting the music. And I think it's because that was in the sense of where maybe one generation went to a record store and did crate digging and found this gold nugget for digging about, digging around like the artists, like other projects or whatever, it was their record store. The video game they experienced was their record store because they had such a, a resonating experience playing the game. Mm-hmm. So with with the support of like the video game community, that kind of took the label to be, have, I had to be a real, a more of a real label. I had to like press stuff. Hmm. I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this. Well, people care. And also for the artist because he has a fan base that wants stuff. So I need to uh, need to give the people what they want. Okay, so the label more so started out as a way to just continue to release this style of music for you and some of the other artists that you had been working with at the time. And then after this moment, you had to shift into an entirely different mindset. Yeah, it was, it was in, in many ways. Like, because uh, before the releases and like even the tracks that I was making under my artist name, Triobelisk, and later Tanimura Midnight, less Tanimura Midnight, but the early stuff was more thinking about club tracks. So, thing like you're kind of thinking of it also as a DJ tool, club tracks, and you know, the way you're building the songs are different, you know, with drops. So, it's an interesting dance floor song, and, yeah, and like intros and outros. Like thinking about those, so DJ can like mix them, you know, fade it with, into another track. So even from from that, like, like El Cuervo has nothing to do with that. Just songs, instrumental, like, uh, kind of lo-fi hip hop. A lot of it, or like, or I would say, uh, kind of cinematic video game music with modern beats the tracks that aren't lo-fi hip hop. So it was totally different. And in a lot of ways, and what happened, like, bring us to now, for the past few years, I think that change is liberating for a lot of people. A lot of the early artists who now kind of came back and made new personas and new, new music because it wasn't about, like, the DJ track anymore. It was just about making a song. You had a lot more freedom to it after that moment because really the direction could go anywhere because you realized, oh, this could be used in a video game, this could be used in a movie, this could be used really in anywhere, and it gave you a lot more applications other than just creating video game-inspired music. Right. It was, I think it just kind of went back to, like, a lot of the artists were rock musicians making electronic music. So BMK, one of the first releases, is a guitarist from the Division Laura Lee. 
so it, the label was an outlet for it was, it was an outlet for like punk and rock and roll band people that I knew that would make electronic music in the van on tour, much like myself, but do nothing with it. It'd sit on, it would mm. sit on their hard drive. So I was like, hey, I'll put it out. Let's just, let's just get it out there. See what happens. Better than it, like, you know, better get two listeners than like zero or like, you know, it's better that it's out there. Yeah, definitely. Because you never know if people are actually going to end up enjoying it or not. Or if it does end up getting picked up like something like that El Huervo track that ended up like getting very big play in Hotline Miami, which... Like you said, it was a game that sold over 2 million copies. It's a game that's considered a cult classic in a lot of ways. And actually, the re- like the way that the game was presented to me by a friend was like, A, the game is incredible to play, and B, you're going to love this soundtrack. Yeah. Dennis, who actually released his punk band, kind of his like Nintendo-ish punk band, Fucking Werewolf on my label, He, uh, it was his curation, a lot of that. Like, the music decisions and he did all the graphics so he's very very in tune with creating worlds so he and he, he did it he did a really great job he's a good curator and has good taste and like really detail oriented and he can't and he cares so much about video games and retro games like he just thinks about all the little pieces so i think because of that it was you know it was compelling and kind of got the audience i think it was timing too for them of course like right place and right time of releasing that game mm-hmm. you know in the cusp of like people rediscovering 80s and things like that but i got a more modernized uh, vision of the 80s if you will there was also like movies that were coming out at that time that were very much like drive yeah inspired by exactly that's exactly what i was thinking of and some of this music would fit perfectly inside of that movie too yeah for sure interestingly in drive there was a that band college that has the real hero song those guys were they had like a their music collective in france called valerie and they were myspace buddies and occasionally you would chat with them back in Back in the beginning, in 2008, 2009, when we were when during the whole Bloghouse scene, so that they, they kind of came. They were actually on that. I don't know if College was on the compilation, but I know other Valerie artists were on like our Masters of the Universe compilation. That's crazy, just how the scene like grew and how it was just so interconnected thanks to the internet and what the internet allowed. Oh for yeah, it. for sure. I think the best part is everyone was inspiring each other. I think. Like, at the time, like, we'd hear something that Valerie would do and be like, wow, that's so cool. There's this band College or Master Levine or these crazy French bands. And then I think everyone was inspiring each other. You know, Future Cop, finding Future Cop stuff. Like, Tom Cruise, I forgot the name of his his early project. I think he he actually just released it a few years ago again, but that early stuff, it was great. Like, it felt like it was... It was like a real, a real little scene. Like it wasn't. I don't think it wasn't about the likes or anything. It was just about just really digging all the music, which I think is existing now in like Facebook groups. You'd see that in synthwave, in like synthwave uh, groups and whatnot. But I guess maybe back then it was more effort because there's no algorithm. You just have to like 
dig on everyone's top eight or whatever on MySpace and find stuff. <laughs> For sure, you weren't relying on a playlist to suggest something to you that maybe you hadn't heard yet or hadn't like taken the time to find on your yeah. own. Though sometimes, I mean, the algorithm is sometimes very good. It's scary. It is very scary how accurate it can be, and then sometimes just how off-base it can be yeah. as well. It's weird. I, I'm in a position where like, I have music that I made that, that is liked by the algorithm. And you can see, you can see that in the stats in like SoundCloud and uh, Spotify. It's like algorithmic plays. And, like weird. So like, you li- we live in a world now, like, before, you know, it's like you get like a crowd behind you. And that's part of like doing like groundwork, putting out flyers nowadays with social media and uh, getting press, doing podcasts, doing all that. But now it's like you have a machine, you can have a, like an, algorithm, an algorithm decide like, hey, everyone should be hearing this. So you can you can be playing to the algorithm and if you will, that would help that will help you get an audience. Very strange times. It's it's weird because there's actually artists who write to an algorithm now. In what like whose algorithm? They're they're like in in specific like in the pop style world, there's more people who are releasing music in certain styles just because that's what's hot on like pop algorithms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is that I know like now I'm not walking down up a hill anymore, so I'm not gonna sound winded. Um <laughs> I'm like sitting down. Um, algorithms, the algorithm is always changing, you know, people are always editing the algorithm, like people work at Spotify, they're always changing the algorithm, like what's relevant and like what gets a higher score to make the algorithm choose something. So it's an abstract thing to do to write to the algorithm, especially a pop algorithm, which could, which also could change. Like, I wonder who's, yeah, you, you have to somehow... You have to somehow be ahead of the curve, like have the have enough force. If you're trying to like be a, a musician in that sense, which I never am, I'm just I just make what I feel like making. Like if it's a big challenge to think about, like you're gonna be ahead of the curve enough, but like have the algorithm that you'll be by the time it's released, the next iteration of the algorithm will like it. Well, exactly, or else you're gonna be limited to only a certain window of time. Yeah, exactly. Or just you go for like human playlisters, you know. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like now, I feel like people glorify like the '90s and like the non-digital music era. But I, in the '90s, like you had distributors, middlemen, and a lot of these big distributors went down, went under, and like the smaller labels and smaller bands didn't get paid. It's like the big bands got paid, you know, and the big labels got paid first before they went bankrupt. Not like the label that sells like at the time 4,000 copies, which now is like really good. In the 90s, it was like, it was really good, but it wasn't like huge by any means because people were selling still a lot of CDs back then. But I feel like now the thing, like now it's it's computers behind it, even though the the numbers are so crappy, like how much you get per stream. I wouldn't say it's more more just, but at least you're getting a statement. (laughs) Because in the 90s, there'd be many times, no, no one's, no one's giving you a statement of sales, if you you know if you're a small indie band. Some people, the, the good the good distributors are the nice ones, Discord of course, and like some of the other indies. But yeah, I mean it wasn't 
it wasn't all peachy. It's nice to look back with like twenty, like what people think is twenty twenty vision, but they're also looking back at it with rose colored glasses and to say that the music industry was so great and everyone had this opportunity is one thing, but like, I also would argue that there's almost just as much opportunity, if not more, nowadays. Yeah, and now it's like a different, different time now. Now you have, uh, now everyone's doing like everyone's doing music. So you're kind of lost in the flood of it all, or you can be lost in the flood of it all. But then you have the whole, I think there's like higher chances of novelty, weird luck than there was before, perhaps. Or maybe that's, mm-hmm. that's a theory that I think of. But I, I just think just everything, being, you have the algorithm, everything's so weird now in a way. So I feel like, like Nathan from Frodo said a good quote. He says, luck favors the prepared. And I think he's really right with that. I think if like you have a good record and the artwork's good and you're mentally prepared, like everything's in place, there's a higher chance that your thing will... I like to, I tend to think, like to believe that there's a higher chance that your thing will resonate and stick opposed to resonate and not stick. And that you would be able to continue like your fan base. Like, the case of El Cuervo, like his artwork was really solid. Like even before his Hotline Miami stuff, he had created a cool world as artwork, and you felt like it was really it was really rich and deep and great to look at, and the music really fit it, and everything was in place. So in order for him to stick, opposed to him not be him just having a one-hit wonder, if you will, like he had, he was prepared artistically. And I think mentally, like he just just went with the flow, and he was in a good a good place with it. So I think that's an interesting quote, and I think uh, maybe it's just a comforting thing for me. But I, I like to uh, I like to think about that quote. I think it's an interesting quote to think of as well, and to look at it from the case of El Huervo. He was the person who did the artwork for the Hotline Miami games too, was he not? Like the cover art? Yeah, he did the cover. Yeah, he did the cover art. Okay, so if he like if his art style also matches the cover art style of the video game, I can see how that would also help build that connection with the fans of the game into easing into his music. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it was similar. His art style would say that he and his records is even more. Uh, it's sci-fi, Mobius-like, more otherworldly. But I think mm. that's it's. It strays, but it's enough of a connection that I think it levels up the the viewer and appreciator of the visual art. They'd see it and be like, ooh, and then jump in. So they, they tip their toes in with Hotline Miami and then jumped in with the rest of the music. Yeah, definitely. And then from there, it's just a wormhole, right? Yeah. A big old wormhole of dancey, trancy goodness. And of course, what's not to love with that? And something that I'm really loving about Swedish Columbia Records is the way that they also encompass that retro style and ideal with their physical releases. And that's something I want to ask Shelby about right away. But of course, before we get there, you guys know I have to spin another track off of that 10-year compilation album entitled Slow Blade. And before that, there's a few things I have to go ahead and do first. And of course, one of those things is go ahead and ask the listeners of the DTP. Yeah, that's right. That's you. Right behind the other side of this speaker. 
I'm going to go ahead and ask you if you have gone ahead and checked out ilovedtp.com yet. ilovedtp.com is the best place where you can go ahead and support the show because not only does your purchase on ilovedtp.com go straight into helping us continue to build this show into the best thing it can possibly B, it also allows you to show your love for the show to represent the Desert Tiger podcast everywhere you go, in front of your friends, in front of your family, and heck, even in front of your enemies, because really, their opinion on the matter, and what you listen to, and what you watch, it really doesn't matter, does it? No. So you're going to represent the Desert Tiger podcast with pride every single place you go. And in doing that, you're going to help us grow. And together, we will create a beautiful community of like-minded individuals sharing their stories together. And it's going to be wonderful. It's been wonderful. We're almost in two years. My goodness. We should probably celebrate that at some point with like some recap episodes, maybe the return of some past guests. Maybe some new items up on I Love DTP that you guys are going to have to keep your eyes peeled on. Maybe even an upcoming sale. Oh my god! So many exciting things coming up in the future. Wow! And of course, before I go ahead and give another track for you a spin today, I need to tell you guys about XYZ. Do you love the taste of X, but wish it had the benefits of Y? But what if at the same time it had the smooth, cool, easy going down texture of Z? Well, let me tell you about XYZ because it is a clever way of me telling you that your ad could actually fill this spot right now if you go ahead and message me over at desert.tiger.podcast at gmail.com and we can discuss this further how your product could become the next XYZ. And with that, I think it's about time that we dusted off the good old DTP jukebox and gave another spin to a track off of that compilation album of Swedish Columbia Records, that 10-year anniversary compilation album, Slow Blade. And of course, you guys have heard Shelby Sinka talk about some of his different releasing aliases earlier in this show, and this is actually one of them. Does that mean we're going to be here a little bit of music from another one later? That might be a possibility, my friend. But for now, we're going to be playing you a track from Tanamura Midnight, and don't get too excited, don't get too worked up, don't try and phone at home, because you just might end up calling the wrong number.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. Okay, so one thing that I really enjoy with the Swedish Columbia records is the way that you seem to package things, the like video game styled packaging and like CDs and what would look like a case from an old, like a video game disc or something else and like board games and other things associated with this. So at what point did you start integrating this into the release style of Swedish Columbia and adding that extra value and connection to the art. I think, I mean, right when the, we started making things because of El Juervo was the beginning. And I think that was also when we kind of, where, where I recognized, where I let the world, <laughs> the Swedish Columbia world, if you will, know of our, in our retro game nerdiness and like, what we what we like outside of the whole blog house world so it was an outlet to uh when once like the hotline miami community came in i felt like it was uh it was an accepted and like celebrated thing if we were going to continue that route of like tipping our hat to the video games and like video game culture that we grew up with so then we just started uh consciously going that direction and since i mean i was i've been a graphic designer since the 90s doing things for love it records a DC-based punk label. I always like the idea of taking something and making it something that it's not. So, like you said, like cassettes that look like uh, VHS tapes. Like the sleeve looks like a VHS, and you take it out, and the J card looks like a, a VHS cassette, and then you open it, and then it's an actual audio cassette. Like that's that's something I've always that that idea I liked. So. We just executed it on on those releases, and then the ten year anniversary is that's all pure tip of the hat to like Konami games and Sega Master System. Oh, huge tip of the hat! I love the artwork and the styling of it, and like for the LP, like just the cover and all the artwork and that it's really fantastic. So I imagine that there was quite a bit of curating that went into the process for even just building. All, everything for the 10 year anniversary album yeah it took it took us <laughs> it took years i think we started putting that together around when we did the the first track where maddie safer sang on it maddie from the rapture and i think it was like it was something i searched recently my emails <laughs> and i want to check again to see when i wrote maddie with that email it's like some crazy it was 2016, I think we started it, 2015, now it's not coming up, but it was a long, it was, it was a while ago, so basically we started thinking about it back then. Oh, wow. So we were planning the 10-year anniversary, like, many years before it, so, yeah, so it's, and Nicholas finished the artwork for it years before, too. So it just it just it just was germinating for a long time. Mm-hmm. So for that process, when it comes to selecting the songs, where did the track list change quite a bit through the years? Was the track list something that you decided you would focus on near the end of things, or did like was the artwork and everything? Did some of that um, represent some of the tracks that were on the album? 
the, the artwork is just representing of the of the label itself i would say in in kind of our it's, Konami, it's just simply konami and like sega artwork and the track list i mean i knew what core stuff would be on there but it definitely like changed towards the end like the last minute different things ended up on there but originally it was it was going to be a vi- it was it was going to be vinyl but at the end we made it a cd just since i wanted to uh we actually give i wanted to just give it i wanted to give it out to everyone opposed to like have someone have to buy it so we sell it but also if you mail order anything from us you get the cd for free whether you like it or not so we <laughs> we've been slipping in that cd since december last year without telling anyone so people have been like wow thanks for the cd <laughs> huh <laughs> and so and a lot of it is because when we got the whole El Cuervo fan base a lot of them didn't know about the history of the label or like maybe wouldn't have wouldn't dug, wouldn't didn't dig beyond El Cuervo as much. So we wanted to kind of get tell everyone the story. So that's why we made this the CD. Of course, many people might not have a CD player, but that's why we have a cheeky little logo saying that it's a ref, also a reflective coaster. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. And it is more the art piece. Like I don't like I don't care if anyone listens to the actual CD, even though like I went to painstaking links to like find out how to author a CD to have like the track listing show up on your car CD player, which I found by because you have to uh, you have to like burn you have to burn a CD in a specific way for a factory. I forgot what the, the CDA file, CD offering file or something. I found like a $60 like German software to like author a CD. And then I was like, okay, now I can do it. But it took me forever to find it. I couldn't find anything like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it was it was a challenge to like <laughs> at the end to get it together. But it's all right. I mean, for people that appreciate Dreamcast and Sega and the artwork, the artwork's a nice a nice piece for that, whether they listen to the CD itself or not. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then the name of the compilation actually gives reference to another world of art, another world of science fiction. The yeah. album is entitled The Slow Blade, which is actually a quote from Dune. What? Yes. Are you a big Dune fan? H- huge Dune fan. Well, I didn't read past the third book. I, I was sorry to read the fourth one, but that's when Frank Herbert was getting a little crazy. Mm, yes, <laughs> it was after the one after God Emperor was doing which one? What is that one called? I don't remember. But first three books I love, and uh, that quote always resonated with me. And I love the scene in the movie with Patrick Stewart saying it. it's classic: the, the slow blade penetrates the shield. And I kind of, I kind of, I saw, it, I see it as a life motto these days. Like about, it's not about like this big success at once, like getting, you know a million streams because you're on the right playlist all of a sudden it's just about like this about slow growth the idea of being zen with it and being okay with it because the world is telling you like right now i feel like the world is being like fast 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 succeed fast everything fast but then like if you think of a if you think of a tree in the forest it's going to grow slowly and then become a very big tree it's still going to be around so i'd rather be a tree that's around for a long time than like uh a really awesome looking flower bush that's around for like a year <laughs> for a weird for a weird metaphor I just made up um, 
so I, I see it as a life motto. The slow blade penetrates the shield. Just like keep going at it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't you don't have to go fast. Just just go. Just, as long as you're going as the blade is moving forward, eventually I'd like to I like to think it penetrates the shield. If not, that's okay. At least you tried. But I th- I think it's a I think it's a good a powerful quote uh, and it's I think it it, it, att- it attests to the label too, a lot of just sticking around for so long and pace. How do you feel about that quote? You with me on that? <laughs> I I really like that. I really enjoy that and I'm very with you on that. Thank you. I I really enjoy that and it, it also goes to show like the different ways that the label or even just like the movement of the music has definitely pierced through but like the idea of success continues to change and not only just in the music industry and different variations of the world and as long as you continue to move forward you can continue to break through those barriers whereas at the beginning like you said there was the blogs and there was a lot of downloads there and then like things changed but then still again you guys kept at it and then with the breakthrough of the El Huervo and like the Hotline Miami stuff, once again, the slow blade penetrated the shield and it broke through. Yeah, exactly. And even if it didn't break through, even if it doesn't break through, the like, idea of, I think, just like that kind of motto and creating things is it's comforting and empowering. And it doesn't always have to mean like, you know, it doesn't have to mean breaking through like a million listeners. It could be break through to one. You know, that's part of the slow blade. You're slowly breaking through. You know, you got one listener, you got two listeners, you got three listeners, you got four listeners, 500 listeners. That's what it's all about, just creating. So I don't, I think, yeah, it's a forward motion in creating. Mm-hmm. And it definitely is a forward motion in creating. So what does the future of Swedish Columbia have in its grasp, do you feel? What are the initial movements that you can actually speak of? Well, everyone's continuing to release more music, so El Cuervo produced an album with Rat Vader. It's mostly Rat Vader, but El Cuervo helped guide him and guide the song and play on it. So that record's coming out So as, a, as Rat Vader, but also El Cuervo. So on Spotify, it'll show up as both artists. On Bandcamp, it'll just show up as Rap Vader produced by El Cuervo, but because we don't want to duplicate the release in two artists, which would be be weird. But so that's coming out this fall, and that's something that they... It's actually an old record. Rap Vader finished mixing it a couple years ago. He's a Swedish artist that does a lot, a lot of game music, Oscar Rydelius. And for whatever reason, like it took forever for it to get the final touches and then the artwork done. El Cuervo did the artwork on it, which is really nice. And he also helped come up with the artist name on it. Like a mixture of Darth Vader and a rat. <laughs> it was pre- it's pretty amazing artwork. Yeah, this rat, majestic rat person coming out of a, looks like an old Parisian metro, uh, like one of those Art Deco metro stops into a, like a, a like a magical forest it's crazy so that's coming out this year and then the new mark ua which he used to be known as swan sex on the label he does 
He's on Instagram as Mark.ua, and he does a hardcore and soda Instagram account where he pairs hard punk, hardcore punk records with sodas. And he's also a P3 DJ in Sweden. And he now he, he's releasing music under his under his own name. And it's basically it's like it's like a hardcore record with synth. It's like Earth Crisis, but with no vocals, and all the riffs are done on synthesizers and real drums. And he does everything himself. The and it's so it's kind of like pro, I would say it's almost prog rock meets hardcore, but the new record's super hard hitting. Really, I think it's really exciting. It's the best thing he's done yet. So that's coming out. And then I have a new album as Cat Beats coming out this year. It's kind of more of a, a moody night album. And then next, you know, and then we have my friend Steve DeLuca, who's deep in the video game world. I we released a a chiptune compilation called Goofy Foot for his left-handed Nintendo controller a few years ago. The cassette looks like a old Nintendo packaging. And the, like you slip out the 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 sleeve of the cassette and it looks like you're opening an old Nintendo box and the cassette itself looks like a Nintendo cartridge. He contacted me out of the blue this year. I was like, hey, I'm I'm on the panel for the classic Tetris World Championship. They're doing their 10 year anniversary. Uh, do you want to do a compilation like a music compilation for it and it'll be streaming on on Twitch and all that during the competition? I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds crazy. Let's do it. And then. Uh, I thought there'd only be like 10 artists. All of a sudden, it's like over 20 artists. Like everyone responded. Like I sent out an email. I thought like only a couple of people respond or get, mm-hmm. give me tracks. I got like 21 tracks. And then, and I was worried the cat beats, the visual artist, he's Russian. I'm like, this is perfect. He he would totally nail this. And he, he totally nailed the artwork, like captured the, captured the vibe like kind of this cosmonaut thing and like this russia thing like celebrating tetris and the challenge with it all is you can't even use the word tetris because of all the copyrights that the owner of tetris has now yeah so we show no blocks in it no tetronomos in it it's called every block in its right place so like nod to the hat to radiohead that's awesome it's uh if you know tetris you'll understand it if you don't Mm -hmm. know if it's not if you don't know tetris you won't, you won't be like, huh, is that Tetris? <laughs> so it's, it, was, it was a very, it was a big challenge to like do, to like put that together. But that's coming up this year in October. In the, the championships, I believe, is October twenty first. Oh, nice. So, so that came out of the blue, and that was a doozy to put together. And then next year, I don't have my my little notepad on me, but next year there is. A bunch of really, a bunch more releases. I I have so they keep on coming up, so I, I keep on adding them to the list. There's like Gold Corner, which is a chip tune thing by one of the members of Antelope from DC, and then this this uh, '80s DC band. They were kind of like a, a Devo band, like they kind of like Devo, two guys, a synthesizer and a, and a vocalist, called Jobs for America. Amazing band name, and mm-hmm. they they. They were only around in like '82. They've released one record, and, it's, and it has a—I forgot what it's, it's considered one of like the early indie American of a specific of like a electronic genre like release. For a while, it was going really high on eBay, and then now it goes for like fifty dollars or something. But still, but they—they they kind of. 
it's super crazy music and it captures a specific time so i've been i've had those tracks for a year and now we're finally gonna put it out next year and it's been a big challenge because it's having to like remaster the tracks and the tracks sound like really noisy mm-hmm. and my i realized my friend who's mastered a bunch of our releases mastered that plantasia release which is a release of an old moog analog synthesizer record for plants like house plants you should look it up it's actually a great record but it got it's i get i forgot when that record came out but it got re-released this year to kind of a, a critical acclaim if you will and he said he, he's i realized he's really good at cleaning up old records so i sent him the masters to see if he could make magic make gold out of the coal the coal that i got so there's there's that release which may may not uh, interest people outside of the dc area but i want to document it and i actually played in a band with played in a band with the therm with a a theremin player who is one of the members for jobs of america jobs for america so it kind of a a genius dude that makes theremins i would say his house he has 50 theremins in the house and you oh, some videos of, of of him on youtube playing them but intense dude builds his own mm-hmm. instruments super smart and he we met him in a planet <laughs> we met him in a planetarium and our friend he was playing in a band with my friend he's like 15 years older than us and uh i later asked him to play in the band i was doing at the time like a rock and roll band called the cassettes so that's kind of, kind of how that came together man i don't know there's there's some other stuff but it's not coming to mind there's new el cuervo of course and then there's some something else i'm not remembering but a lot and it's and it's all friends of friends and it's all kind of coming into the circle so it's it's always moving the slow blade whether I like it or not. Absolutely. Just constantly pushing through. Exactly. And I think the big part of it is because I don't never paid myself for the label. Like everything. I've been lucky enough to have one artist and El Cuervo primarily. Got to bring in a lot for the label. Of course, these days, like it's like diminishing returns. Like if I was to make a living off of the label, I'd need. I was thinking about this before the interview. I was like, how much? I need about seven artists that are streaming in like the three millions and maybe I can like live, make a living. But yeah, mm-hmm. you have one artist and then all the, any of that revenue that doesn't, the 50% that doesn't go to him just goes into like helping everyone else out. So that's okay. But the, you know, that's, <clears throat> and for me, I'm super grateful. It's like I have, I actually have a budget to play with. That's not like straight out of my pocket. So I get mm-hmm. to help my, help my friends and help people I believe in and try and get them an audience. You know, it's music's a crazy raffle ticket. You know, you just keep on buying more tickets, but eventually you, you know, maybe you have 500 tickets. You <laughs> want your tickets as a, as a winner, but I don't care in the end. It just, I just see it as like, it's important to get more art out there and get these records heard. And if I'm in a position where I can help people, then, and help my friends and the people that kind of come into the circle, then I'm all for it. Yeah, go away and find a way of making a balance between it all so that everybody has an opportunity to make the most out of their creation. Exactly, yeah. And opposed to as I, Travis from Buddyhead, he, I don't know if you remember that online zine Buddyhead. Mm-hmm. 
it's, it's like a website kind of known for uh like posting Fred Durst's number, like Courtney Love's phone number, and like all like their crazy gossip section. Anyway, he's come, he's kind of come back and doing a lot of answers on Instagram, just ask me anything type things. But he said something interesting that resonated to me, like about he doesn't really put out much records, but he puts out a few things these years, these days. And he says like someone's like, when is this coming? I was like, we're waiting for the right time for it, so it doesn't die on the vine. And I'm like, wow, that's I've never heard like someone saying it die like. I know that metaphor where people say it, but like, that's an interesting way of looking at it since I think a lot of times you can just put things out there and it just goes. Bleh. So having for me, like having a budget and like thinking about it more and like, you know, strategizing when the slow blade will make it make the thrust is, uh, is trying to do my best to ensure that whatever that creation that someone makes doesn't die on the vine that it, it does get some audience and you know that's for many that's the, the thing with music you want to you want to put out music and to quote the matrix find the others you know oh without a doubt and yeah. it also goes to stand that you have to pick your battles sometimes and you like not to say that it's a battle but it's you have to pick when you release sometimes as opposed to trying to send the troops over the hill over the hill over the hill exactly if you right if you choose the right moment to pull out the steel chair with me on that <laughs> <laughs> exactly you got to catch them by surprise yeah <laughs> or, or go like all killer bees you know like swap the mask have, have, someone, have someone hiding under the ring uh absolutely exactly be like kane man just pop out that's your debut right out from underneath the ring speaking of the ring did you see it nxt uk that gallus guy i forget all their names but that one match where the the ring like the ropes collapse it was just madness oh my goodness what a moment right like uh that whole match was insane they were like all over i was i was i was loving it Mm-hmm. It, just an incredible show. <laughs> just an incredible show overall. Yeah. Uh, NXT always has good pay-per-views, though. It seems. Oh yeah, super good. I and I I didn't know what they do. And it's so funny how fast we're like shifting from music to wrestling. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, um, That's crazy how you can just make those jumps, right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe I sound more exciting. I didn't talk about wrestling. No, um, ah. no, I'm just excited. But it's just because I have no one to talk about wrestling to. You realize that? It's like a solitary thing. I have one friend, Russell. He's the only one I can talk to about wrestling. He only watches the classics. I'm like, you gotta watch something new. So I have someone to talk to about. Anyway, I had I had that problem a few years ago, so I understand that exact feeling. Cause like when shows would come through, I would always turn to my best friend and be like, "Dude, you gotta come with me." And be like, "I don't care. <laughs> like, there's no way I'm going." It's like, just give it a chance, please. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, what I was gonna say is like that NXT Takeover where Tommaso Ciampa was got like his neck messed up. I was like, how are they gonna make up for that main event? They built it up so much. And then Adam Cole, he just. He made it happen. I was like, "Wow, they how did they do that? That was that was incredible." Oh, they tore the house down. Match, yeah. I was like, "What?" The pressure to get get that main event going on. Yeah, unreal. unreal. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. So, 
I mean, we're gonna we should probably close things off here soon. But before I go, I have a question. You, in the past, you've worked on video games yourself. You've released a board game for yourself. Is there any other artistic pursuits or ventures or creations that Shelby Sinka would like to maybe step into or pursue? Hmm. Oh, I do know. I do know one. I've always wanted to make make toys. Kind of more like designer toys, like indie, you know, blind box toys. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Kind of like what you'd find in like Kid Robot in New York or Giant Robot Store in Los Angeles. Kind of like indie, designer indie resin toys. That's something I'd like to do. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I actually have, I've been, uh, I, ha- I have my Cat Beats characters 3D rendered and ready to print, but um, I just have to find the right vendor to print them and get them mm-hmm. printed, and then, you know, you do a first, like, boutique run, and then go from there. So, it's a, it's a whole other world, and, it, and I think it's, a, like anything, it's, it's a slow climb, a slow blade, you know, you start methodically with a good character design and you know print 3d printing and build, doing it yourself or even casting them yourself and then kind of building it up from there so it's not it's not anything super easy i would say i think it, it's like anything it takes time but it's definitely something i'm looking into doing and, and, it, and it does connect to, to the record label too since it is my my cat beats characters oh so it's connecting to your cat beat. <laughs> yeah, it's the two it's the two cats on the cover of the of the first full length. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So even then, that's something that could end up being added to future releases or something else, or is a package exactly. or something. Yeah, I would sell it with with, uh, with like with a release or something. But eventually, I'd I'd like to. Uh, I mean, of course, the dream is to be able to like create more, like kind of have it live outside of just be in the the toy realm as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. It's like a little hobby that I'm dabbling with. I think that's the next next place I'll go. Yeah, you never know, you never know what shields the slow blade is gonna pierce through, right? Exactly. <laughs> may, may, maybe the shield you're aiming at moves, and maybe a new shield jumps in its way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, no idea. Uh, so, yeah, all right. Well, before we go, I'm just going to let you know that the NXT match that we just discussed was Dave Mastiff versus Joe Kofi. Yes. yes. Yeah. Dave Mastiff, Joe Kofi. It's very, so funny when, very when, good match. When Dave Mastiff comes in, like, I, I love it. They're, they like, have that camera jiggle and he stomps his foot. So it looks like he's, like, <laughs> Hilarious. I'm like, man. Even these cameramen, they're like, they're so good at like the like the entrances, like fine, like doing the little little gimmick for the entrances. Oh. Love it. Mm-hmm. Just that level of production value and just that little extra step to just make you like, just make you believe like, oh, this is a big boy. This yeah. is a big boy. And I don't, I don't think he's any bigger than King Kong Bundy or anything. No, like not he, at all. He doesn't look. <laughs> I think. Uh, I think uh, what's his name? Why I'm forgetting everyone's name. Bask in my glory. What's his name? Ah. Bask in my glory. You know who I'm talking about? 
bask in his glory. Keith Lee. I don't think yes. Keith, I don't think he's bigger than Keith Lee. I think Keith Lee's that bigger than him. I think so too. But but he gets the he gets the camera shake. But good for him. Hey man, it's if that's what it takes to just get the fans that little extra bit into it, I love it. Yeah, I love it too. And, and yeah, Jill Coffey. Gal, I just, I just call him Gallus because that's like the his little crew. Mm-hmm. Oh, good little crew. I'm I'm really enjoying what they're building with NXT UK right now. Mm. You know what's super crazy? Rhea Ripley going into the face. What? What? I know, right? I'm so excited for that. <laughs> yeah, that's out of control. <gasps> Oh man, I'm I'm sure I'm sure we could just jump into what we're excited for and matches and everything if we want to. But before we do that, I should probably just let you go, my dude. Let, let me come on and just talk about Rass. Yeah, we should just do that an, another separate time. We'll just have you come on and we'll just talk about wrestling. Please, please, please. I, I would know, actually love only, that. Right now, you're the only one. <laughs> Russell. <laughs> But Buddy Russell just talks to me about the classics. And I tell him, like, and you got to see Velveteen Dream. He's, like, pulling out all these classics. He's, like, tipping the hat to everyone, doing the Macho Man elbow. Like, you got to see it. Man, <laughs> he is he is a pure character. And he is someone who would fit exactly in those moments. And I think that that's someone he would uh, definitely appreciate. So he's got to get on that. <laughs> I know. So you're, you're the only one. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Shelby. Is this what you seek? God, the slow blade penetrates the shield. But, uh, look down.
track you just heard, which, like all the other tracks you heard today, can be found on the 10-year Swedish Columbia compilation album, Slowblade. That was Everything Went Quiet and I Was Eight Again by Shelby Sinka's Cat Beats alias. Alright everybody, and with that, that means we're coming near the end of another episode of the DTP. Another exciting, another intriguing, another riveting episode of the podcast here with my guest Shelby Sinka as we spoke about the 10-year anniversary of Swedish Columbia Records and of course the 10-year anniversary album that is in celebration of that which is entitled Slow Blade. You're going to be able to go ahead and find Slow Blade over on Bandcamp where you can go ahead and either pick yourself up the MP3s of those tracks or you can go ahead and grab that 10-year anniversary CD that has all that sick artwork, all those little references, all those little things that just connect you to the history of Swedish Columbia Records. And as Shelby said earlier, if you go ahead and pick up something else, off of the Swedish Columbia band camp, maybe that be a El Huervo vinyl record or something, you're going to go ahead and get this 10-year anniversary album, Slow Blade, thrown in with your purchase. So I think that's a pretty killer deal, my dudes. What are you waiting for? And with that, I want to go ahead and thank Shelby Sinko one last time for joining me here on today's episode of the podcast, that being episode 81, so that we could talk all about Swedish Columbia records, video games, a little bit of philosophy, and badass wrestling tattoos. So once again, thank you so much, Shelby. I also want to go ahead and thank Jerry Graham for going ahead and setting up today's interview with Mr. Shelby Sinko, thank you so much, Jerry, for helping set this episode up, as well as last week's episode, which happened to feature The Take. I also want to go ahead and thank you, the listeners of the DTP, for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast, as you guys ever so lovingly do here every single week. If you're a new listener of the podcast, maybe you want to go ahead and consider hitting the subscribe or follow button on whatever service you're listening on. Maybe you want to go ahead and dive into the backlog of the show. Find out all those other things that we have covered along the way. Those other 80 episodes. Maybe you want to go ahead and review the show on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, maybe even Stitcher. Because rating and reviewing the show a big old five stars helps us chart. It helps us reach new ears, which in turn helps us reach and find new great guests to bring on the show every single week. And of course, last but not least, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, maybe you want to head on over to your social media and share this episode with your friends and your family. Maybe you want to do it in person. Tell them about the DTP. Maybe you want to tell them about it while repping the Desert Tiger podcast with your sick shirt that you went ahead and picked up over at ilovedtp.com because you can rep the show everywhere you go, in front of your friends, in front of your family, and even in front of your enemies. Because, baby, they can't stop you from shining bright like the diamond you are. Alright, next week on the show, I am joined by Canadian punk rock legend 
Biff Naked. That's right, Biff Naked is going to be joining me here on the Desert Tiger Podcast. We're going to be discussing a lot of things, going over a lot of her career, and we're also going to be discussing the significance of her playing on the Lilith Fair 20 years ago. That's right, it's the 20-year anniversary since Biff Naked was a part of the Lilith Fair, an all-female touring festival that went on between 1979 and 1999. It was a huge movement, and you're going to find out all about what it meant to Biff Naked here next week on the Desert Tiger Podcast. Until then, continue being a beautiful soul, build your mountain, climb to the top, and enjoy the breeze from there. Bye-bye.